Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. Praise God. So good to see everyone. Come on, we're back together in church. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Happy, happy Resurrection Sunday to everyone, whether you're watching online or you've come in. I heard we are already in overflow. My goodness, it's been a long time since we've been in overflow in the house of God. Could we praise the Lord? Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. And that's why we're here. We're here because he's never lost a battle. And when Jesus comes into your life, he brings victory. Resurrection Sunday is about the greatest battle in history. It's about the day that continues to impact lives. It continues to impact history in this never-ending way until we see the Lord Jesus Christ face-to-face. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered sin and death. He conquered our greatest evil. He conquered our greatest enemy. Could we praise God one more time? He arose. He's risen. Hallelujah. On high. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, in 1799, Napoleon's army was sweeping across uh, Europe, and the French army approached this small town in Austria with 18,000 men, and it happened to be on Easter Sunday. And so the people in this community didn't know what to do because they didn't have an army and they couldn't defend their town. And a very wise kind of deacon rose up, and he said to the crowds, he said, look, it's, it's Resurrection Sunday. There's nothing that we can do in our own strength. Why don't we just ring the bells and worship God? This is bigger than us. This is bigger than anything that we can do. Come on, let's celebrate our risen Savior. So that's indeed what they did. They rang the bells and everyone came and worshiped God, even though they knew that the, the French army was looming Well, lo and behold, when the French army heard the bells ringing and all of the commotion, they said, "Uh uh-oh, that means that their army actually got here to defend them, and they turned away. So after they finished worshiping Jesus, they looked for the army, and the army was gone in more ways than one. Does the resurrection of Jesus impact people's lives? Hallelujah. And I'm so excited to talk to you today about the resurrection of Jesus. What I want to do is have you open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 actually explains the story that is told in the Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they talk about the life and then ultimately the death of Jesus. Jesus was the Son of God, He came to the earth. He was born of a virgin. So because he was born of a virgin, that meant he was different from any other human being in history because he was both God and man. He was was fully God and fully man. And he was born 
sinless and perfect, and he lived a sinless life. And when he turned 30 years old, he began his ministry. He began to fulfill his destiny and purpose. And even the Son of God, when he came, he had a destiny and purpose. It was also a reminder that every child of God, everyone born in the image of God, everybody say, that means me. All of us have a purpose and a destiny in God. When he turned 30 years old, he began a ministry. And for three years, he declared the kingdom of God. For three years, he declared the glory of God. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He loved the unlovely. The people who rejected, who were rejected by society, the people who were unappealing, the unpopular, those are the people that Jesus went and loved on. Those are the people that he touched. There was no one that Jesus wouldn't reach out to in love. And then at the end of the third year of his ministry, we started celebrating this last week. Jesus would allow himself to be crucified. One of my favorite notes, I think it's in the Gospel of John, is that the night they came to arrest Jesus, he said, who are you looking for? And um, they said, Jesus. And when they said, Jesus, he said, I am he. And they all fell down. All the soldiers, all the army. And you know why Jesus did that? He said, just a reminder that you're really not in charge. (laughs) Hallelujah. So they get up and he offers himself because he was the lamb of God. He was a sacrificial lamb. And the Bible tells us that they... They beat him, they spit on him, they they mocked him, they dishonored him, they disfigured him in every sense of the word. Jesus was humiliated in a way that goes beyond explanation or understanding. And then they crucified him. He was put into a tomb, and I forgot, I wanted to show you our kids I walked in earlier in the building. I walked into the, one of the rooms, and they've got this little tiny tomb that our kids are going to be talking about, the resurrection, cardboard. Jesus was put in a real tomb, and he died. He died on the cross. He gave up his ghost, gave up his spirit, and he died. But the Bible records that on the third day, he rose again in power. <laughs> Hallelujah. He defeated our greatest enemy. He defeated our greatest trouble, our greatest problem. He defeated sin and death. Sin and death run together. And in the, in the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul explains this whole story in two verses. He takes us from Genesis right to the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 21. Look at what the Bible says. It says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. This was God's story. This was God's plan. It says, for as in Adam all died. Let me say, stop here. Sin started when creation began and God created man in his image. And when God created man in his image at a certain point, he gave, because God wanted a love relationship with mankind, God gave Adam the ability to love him or not love him. If you ever want to know why is it that people 
do crazy things and, so, and we end up blaming God for it. Here's why people do crazy things. It's because God wants everyone to have the choice to love him or not. Adam had a choice. Love is a choice. We're not robots. And everybody com uh, uh, might criticize God when people do crazy things. How could God allow that? It's because God didn't make us robots and you don't wanna be a robot. How many would say amen to that? So Adam chose, Adam and Eve chose. They sinned against God. They broke, they violated the word of God and sin entered into the world. And it says for us, and then as soon as sin entered into the world, everything was made a, a, a bit yucky. You see, this is not the world we were supposed to live in. This is not the way God meant it to be. He never meant it to be this way. But he loved us enough to let us choose. And you know what? That carries over into this moment. I got a lot of things to say, but I need to say this. When you think about your life, when you think about Adam's life, there's a way that God wants it to be, and there's a way that we choose it to be. That's what happened with Adam. So Adam chose, and he passed on the sin nature. Have you noticed with little kids, as soon as they can walk around, what, you tell them, don't touch that. What do they do? Beep. It's in all of us. Adam is in all of us. It says, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Okay, here's how Paul sums it up. From the beginning, sin entered into the world and God needed to deal with the sin question. It started in Adam, but then it's resolved in Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made, all will be, two words everyone, made alive. That's the title of my message. What is the resurrection of Jesus Christ all about? It's about the fact that you and I can be made alive. You and I were meant to live a full life. Jesus said the thief comes to to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and life to the full. If you're watching online, he wants to make you alive. He wants to make us all alive. Why did Jesus offer himself even though he was the son of God? What was the purpose of him coming to the earth and dying, rising from the dead? It's so that you and I could be made alive. And you might say to yourself, well, uh, uh, um, I feel like I'm alive. Well, we're going to talk about that in the next few moments. But let me just pause for a second because every time we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, when the resurrection of Jesus is the focus, uh, um, it's only right for us to at least touch on... on, uh, um, on the actual, the factual resurrection of Christ because there are skeptics so let me just say a couple of words to skeptical people this is very very important number one there's deep research available to anyone who's honestly seeking the truth about whether Jesus rose from the dead or not and there are many a used to be professional atheists who actually started out with the mission, with the idea that if they could disprove that Jesus rose from the dead, they would become rich and famous and at the same time say to people who follow God, you know, na 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 whatever it is, you know what I mean? And um, uh, 
Um, Josh McDowell wrote the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He's actually preached at this church. He was a great intellectual who decided, I'm going to become rich by proving that Jesus never rose from the dead. I love this guy, um, uh, Anthony Flew, who said, who uh, wrote the book, There Is, he started out, There Is No God, There Is a God. Listen to this. How the world's most notorious atheist changed his mind. Lastly, the case for Christ, I'm focusing on him because he's right out of Chicago. Lee Strobel, who was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, his wife gave her heart to the Lord, and she was really getting on his last nerve. And so he decided that he was going to disprove this Jesus that she was following, and he set out to make a case against Christ. And by the time he was done, he wrote the book, The Case for Christ, and many other books. Hallelujah. So look, I want to play a video for you, just two minutes, about how Lee Strobel explains this. We would have to take a long time to, to really drill down, but if you're really hungry for the truth, search it out. If you seek him, you will find him. Watch this video. I like to look at the evidence for the resurrection in four categories. The first one is, did Jesus die on the cross? Was he dead? Virtually every scholar on planet Earth concedes that Jesus was dead after crucifixion. We have no record of anyone anywhere ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Uh, even the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, published a peer-reviewed scientific medical study of the evidence for the death of Jesus and said, clearly, the weight of the evidence indicates that Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Even the atheist New Testament scholar, Gerd Ludeman, says, historically, it's indisputable that Jesus was dead. So Jesus was dead. The second category of evidence is the early accounts we have for the resurrection. In other words, I used to think as an atheist that the resurrection was a legend, and that took a long time to develop in the ancient world. But what I learned is that we have preserved for us a creed of the earliest Christian church a creed that is a eyewitness-based report of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this creed has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus. Within months. That is historical gold. So we've got a newsflash from ancient history on the resurrection. Third category of evidence is the empty tomb. And the best evidence for that is even the opponents of Jesus implicitly admitted the tomb was empty. Because when the disciples began proclaiming that Jesus had risen, what the opponents said was, oh, well, um, the disciples stole the body. Now, they're conceding the tomb's empty. They're just trying to explain how it got empty. So everybody's conceding the tomb was empty. How did it get empty is really the issue. And that goes to the fourth category of evidence, which is eyewitnesses. You know, for most of what we know about ancient history, it comes from one or maybe two sources of information. And yet, for the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources, inside and outside the New Testament, confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the risen Christ. That is an avalanche of historical data. So you put all that together, and you have a really good case for Easter. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, you may be watching this video, and you might say to yourself, oh, there goes another Jesus follower. But what you have to remember is this guy was an atheist. 
You have to remember, this was the guy who was making fun of Christians and mocking Christianity. This was the guy who was belittling it. And when he took the time to research and to look into the facts, how many know the walls must come down? And he gave his life to Christ. The current reigning, um, I think, he's the most famous atheist right now. His name is Richard Dawkins. Everybody say Richard Dawkins. Come on, let's pray for Richard. Amen. And when I, I, I have a lot of faith that Richard Dawkins is going to come to Christ because he was in an interview. I wish I could play it for you. But he was in an interview. And when they pressed him about the complexity and order of the universe, when they, when they pressed him about design uh, enough, he finally caved in. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that you and I, logic demands that order and complexity has a designer. You know, there's the age old who made the watch. This watch has, I don't know, you know, it could have a hundred parts in it. Who made those parts and how, who put the parts together? Oh, it just popped into from nowhere. You know, I was on a on a plane recently and a bunch of med students came on. The way I know they were med students is they all had iPads and when they opened their iPads, they had these unique kind of textbooks on their iPad. And there was a um, young lady sitting next to me and she was studying the ear. And she, there were pages and pages of images um, explaining the ear, and it was so amazing, so complex. And I would ask you, who made the ear? Well, it just popped into a little explosion from nothing. An explosion from nothing brought about the ear. It didn't buy it. Well, look, when they pressed Richard Dawkins, here's what he said. Okay, he said, I suppose it's possible you might find a signature of some sort of designer of the world. And that designer could well be a higher intelligence from elsewhere in the universe. He's on his way, brothers and sisters. He's on his way. He's on his way. Hallelujah. I bet he doesn't know <laughs> that we're celebrating his salvation already. Look at, look at, look at how Warren Wiersbe puts the issue of the resurrection. It applies to everyone. The empty tomb had a message for the disciples as it has for us. It says to science and philosophy, explain this event. But they can't because science can't explain everything. We know that. Science is just figuring stuff out. And little by little, has science advanced a lot? Yes, but little by little, it's on its way. And science keeps correcting itself. We used to think, th think this and now we think that, you know? I couldn't stand it the day I was listening to the radio and they say, you know, if you eat raw garlic and all that's good for your blood pressure, then somebody said, don't eat raw garlic, it does nothing for you. Say, I had bad breath for all those years because of <laughs> science. You watch an old movie and you see they would cut people when they were sick and they would take their blood out. The reigning, the reigning authority of that time, let's say the 1600s, they would cut the blood, they would put leeches on people to take their blood because their blood was no good. And one day they discovered, no, blood is good. Meanwhile, the Bible said thousands of years before, the life is in the blood. 
So science is just catching up. Certain things, though, are supernatural. Certain things are spiritual. Certain things are from another world, another kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is upon us. Come on, somebody say amen. Explain this event. It says to history, repeat this event. You can't repeat the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he was the only one, the one and only son of the living God. No one else has ever come to this earth and done what Jesus has done and lived the way Jesus lived and brought the victory and transformed lives the way Jesus did. It's an, it's an unrepeatable event. The cross of Christ is the greatest event, the greatest moment in all of history. And it cannot be repeated. It says to time, blot out this event. Think about how many people have been trying to blot out the resurrection, but you can't. Because you can't stop the reaching power of the Holy Spirit of God. He reaches and reaches and the world says the schools try to get him out and the government tries to push him out and anybody could try to push him out. But how many know you can't push out the Savior of the world? Hallelujah. And it says to faith, believe this event. And when we believe, that's when we're made alive. It's when we believe, when we put our faith in the Son of God, that is when we're made alive. No one can qualify you for eternity. No one can make you right. No one can get you there except Jesus. And here's why. As I go to explain the resurrection, I almost want to give you um, a simple explanation of how to pick a God. That's a good question. How do you pick a God? Pick the one who can meet your deepest needs while at the same time give you the fullest life, make you alive. It is impossible to live a full life for any extended period of time without three things. Listen, the resurrection from the dead was the key that unlocked the three doors to a full life. What are the three doors to a full life? Forgiveness, freedom, and fulfillment. Write this down. Keep this with you. This has been put in a lot of different ways, but spiritually, morally, eternally, I'm telling you right now, no matter how good you're doing, it will not last. No matter how good it's going, your batteries will run out without forgiveness, freedom, and fulfillment. When Jesus died on the cross, when that perfect person, that innocent lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, when he came to this earth and he never had a bad thought, he never did an ugly thing, he never did anything wrong, that perfect lamb of God, when he offered himself on the cross, he made it possible for us to be forgiven. He made it possible for us to be free. And he made it possible for us to be fulfilled. So I want to spec, spend the next few moments talking about how are we made alive. And I'm telling you right now, if these three things don't happen in your life, if you don't walk through these three doors, you'll never have a full life. You can be alive, but not fully alive. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and life to the full. 
Not life to the half, not life to a quarter, not life to 10%, not life to 5%, not just walking zombies. There's so many TV shows about it. Alive, life to the full. Jesus came that you might have life, that your children would have life, that your marriage would have life, and life to the full. Hallelujah. So whether you're a teenager, whether you're 55 or 85, these are the three doors everyone has to walk through. This is what Jesus did when he rose from the dead. So we're made alive, first of all, when we're forgiven. Death and all of its effects came through Adam, and forgiveness came through Jesus Christ. Everyone needs forgiveness. Everyone needs to feel a moral release. Everyone needs forgiveness. There is no human being on the planet that doesn't need for their conscience to be cleansed. I'm going to ask you to say amen to that. Amen. Yes, but that's all of us. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What would you be if you never experienced forgiveness? Can I tell you, after 30 years in ministry, over 30 years in ministry, and I, after talking to, I don't know, countless people, one of the biggest root problems, one of the biggest reasons why people walk around with trauma is because they grew up in a home that didn't uh, 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 give out forgiveness. A lack of forgiveness, psychologists say that it does all sorts of things to people. A lack of forgiveness leads to, is it, is it stuck? We have a slide that's stuck. Can we get it? Here it is. A lack of forgiveness leads to chronic stress. Some people are stressed out watching online in this room. You know why? Just because you haven't experienced forgiveness. And if you don't walk through that door, it becomes a burden upon your life. But the Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. What Jesus did, hallelujah, on the cross is he paid the price that you and I could never pay. He said, I'm not guilty, but I'm going to be declared guilty so that you will be not guilty. How many are thankful for the blood of Jesus? That's the way, the only way. A lack of forgiveness leads to short-term intense responses, to depression, to paranoid personality disorder. University of Penn Medical School. You see, everyone needs to be forgiven. Start there. When a person feels like they never need to be forgiven, psychologically and emotionally, they are shut down. Some people, they have a seared conscience. But see, if you have a seared conscience, if you never feel like anything is right or wrong, I'm telling you right now, you are hurting so many people around you and you have no clue. People who don't think there's a right and wrong are always hurting other people. They're oblivious to the fact that certain things do hurt, certain things do cause pain, and that's wrong. Only the blood of Jesus can revive the human conscience. Hallelujah. I read this proverb this morning. If you want people to like you, forgive them when they wrong you. Remembering wrongs can break up a friendship. What if God continued to remember your wrong? What if God held that against you? 
If you really want to understand why Jesus came, he came because he didn't want to be there to be anything between us. But he was just enough to pay so that we would no longer feel wronged. Listen to this. So some, uh, um, some missionaries, the, the Moravian missionaries first, when they first went to the Eskimos, they could not find a word in their language for forgiveness. So they had to compound one, and this word turned out to be, it's a ma, forget it, right there, that's the word. <laughs> and here's what that word means. It means not being able to think about it anymore. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness means that God doesn't think about our sin anymore. It means that when he looks at you, he looks at you with eyes of love, even though he, he knows that we fail, but he doesn't think about that because the price was paid. Hallelujah. Some people need their consciences freed. You need your emotions freed. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. That's what the resurrection is all about. See, if God didn't go to the cross, people would call him a hypocrite. Because how could you forgive people after they've done all of those things wrong? Here's what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus says when the devil accuses him or when anyone accuses him about you. He says, yes, they did. Al Toledo has done all those ugly things. Al Toledo has all that ugliness inside of him. But guess what? I paid the price for Al Toledo's sin. Hallelujah. He is washed and clean and forgiven. You can't have a full life. You can have the toys, you can have the money, you can have the, the trips, you can have everything. But if you're not forgiven, you'll never be really alive. And by the way, your children won't be alive if you don't teach them to forgive. If you don't teach them the blessing of forgiveness. We all struggle with our computers, our phones. There's nothing like a good old-fashioned restart of your computer. We you know my computer's acting funny. My wife will often say, turn it off. You need a restart. Let me tell you, somebody here needs a restart. And only the blood of Jesus can give you a restart. Hallelujah. So the only way to be made alive is, first of all, you have to be forgiven. When we're made alive, we're forgiven. Number two, when we're made alive, we are freed. We are set free. The forgiveness of God broke the barrier between God and man. When barriers are broken by God, we become free. God is able to free us from the past. God is able to free us in the present. The things that bind us, the things that addict us, the things that control us, all of those things God is able to free. He's able to free us from resentment. He's able to free us from trauma. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. That's the message of the gospel. Why? Because if he broke out of the prison of the grave, if he broke out of the prison of sin and death, he can break you and I out of any prison. Somebody say amen. Nothing is too hard for the power of Jesus Christ. He's able by his glorious power to set us free, freedom from destructive, destructive behaviors, freedom in every way. Freedom 
is one of the continuous blessings of actually having a relationship with Jesus. It's like you keep getting more and more free. I've been serving the Lord for 30 years and, and, and I feel more freedom today than I did five years ago. It's a lifelong journey. The, more, the closer you get to God, the more free you become. Anybody thankful about that? Could we put our hands together about that? Hallelujah. Now look, I want to give you a real life example. It's kind of funny. I know it's going to make my wife squirm a little bit. Um, but freedom is a lot like your freedom, my freedom is a lot like the life of a hamster. Okay? So look, I want to I play this while I talk to you, right? It's a lot like the life of a hamster. There he is. <laughs> Anybody feel like this hamster? A hamster can look outside. Listen, a hamster can look outside the glass of his cage and see his freedom. What does he do? He decides to run for it. He gets on the wheel. He runs on the wheel trying to get his freedom. He soon realizes that he's not getting where, anywhere, so he runs faster. Sound like anybody in this room? An hour later, he's still in the same spot. Many of us try to find freedom. We try to break the habit, the way of thinking, the relationship. But years later, we're still in the same spot. We make uh, New Year's resolutions. We try all of these things only to end up in the same spot. Why? Because we're using the wrong method. When we're trapped, we cannot change things ourselves. Listen here. The only way for the hamster to find freedom is for the owner of the, hands, of the hamster to reach inside the cage and lift it out of there. Any hamsters in the room? You know, I prayed that God would burn that illustration into somebody's memory. Running, 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 getting nowhere. Running, 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 getting nowhere. That's not what God wants for you. What God wants for you is that you might have life and life to the full. He's our creator. He knows what's best for us. And he wants nothing more than to give that to us. We have a new uh, uh, granddaughter, little Lana. And um, I held her the other day for a little while. She started to get uncomfortable. I had to give her back. She was with my wife for like 35 minutes. She was with me for three minutes. She wanted out. <laughs> but, oh my goodness, I just exploding with love for this little, what, four weeks, three weeks? And um, now that I'm a Christian and a pastor, I've been reading the Bible for so long, when I see babies, I think about, it's so easy to love a baby, you know? And our love is so overwhelming for babies. And we don't recognize that that moment that of love that Chrissy and I could feel for little Lana, it's nothing compared to God's love for you and I. What could I want for, for, for Lana? Think about that. What could I want for her? I just want the absolute best. 
if I could, the best of everything. Because that's the love of a dad, of a granddad. That's how God feels about you. God loves you. Do you think that God looks down from heaven and he's happy, happy when you're living the life of a hamster? You think you were created in the image of God to live like a hamster? To run and to run and to run and to get nowhere? To never be satisfied, never be fulfilled? Just running and running and running and running? Jesus has to free us. Listen, here's what happens. Life is like a cage. See, the, the tomb was a powerful symbolic illustration. What is a tomb? The next time you drive by a, a uh, cemetery, thanks, honey. Uh, the next time you drive by a cemetery, you know what that is. That's the tomb of a, of a body. So only Jesus can reach into that tomb and pull us out. When someone is, is steeped in sin, when someone is lost, there's only one way Jesus has to put his hand on your life. I'm telling you right now, you might say, but life is pretty good. I got the promotion, I got the money, I got the, the guy, I got the girl, I got this. I'm telling, you, I, I'm telling you right now, there's an expiration date on those superficial sources of life. That's why throughout all of history, people end up saying, I just came to the end of myself. That's why Deion Sanders, after, after winning the Super Bowl and buying a, 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 I think it was a Lamborghini over the phone, got on his knees and gave his life to Jesus. Why would he do that? Because he said, no matter what I have, no matter what I do, I'm like a hamster running. I may have a fancy gerbil wheel, might be a limo, but it's still just running still bondage when God sets you free you know it see you either know freedom or you don't if you don't know real freedom if you've, if you've never really had a meeting and an experience with God you know when he's picked you up out of that grave everything changes because whom the sun sets free is free indeed have you walked through the door of freedom what is freedom? Freedom is the touch of God that frees us to become who we were always meant to be. You'll never come into the fullness of, of God's purpose, plan, of your destiny in God unless he sets you free. So God wants to come by his mighty power, lift us out of that cage, whatever it is. It could be the cage of pride, it could be the, the cage of success. I heard someone say a term, golden handcuffs. The more people make, then they get chained by their obligations. It could be a chain of addiction. It could be a chain of the past. It could be a chain of regret. It could be a chain of resentment. Whatever it is, Jesus can break the chains. If he broke the power of sin and death, he could break your your, your chains. We have to walk through the door of freedom. And when we walk through the door of freedom, that's when we come into 
what he always wanted for our lives. See, in order to live a full life, you have to be forgiven. You have to be freed. And when we are made alive, we are also fulfilled. Everybody say fulfilled. See, when Jesus fulfills your life, then you don't need the things that actually bind you. Jesus satisfies you and fulfills you in such a deep way. Fulfillment means that you're good in your heart, even though when things around you, whether good or bad, doesn't matter. You're still good in your heart because only through a relationship with Jesus can you be really, really good in your heart. He puts a whole different spin on everything else. I was... Uh, I was thinking about, you know, there's an old quote, I think it was Augustine, who said that our hearts um, were, he's, here's what he said. He said, our hearts were made for God. Online, in this room, teenager, businessman, teacher, businesswoman, chef, architect, wherever you find yourself, your heart was made for God. Here's what he said. He said, our hearts were made for God and our hearts never find their rest until they find their rest in you. Come on, yeah, that's good. Let's put our hands together and say yes. I have one more quick clip for you. So a couple weeks ago, um, you know, you guys know what I'm into because that's where the illustrations end up coming from, right? So um, I got into golf four or five years ago, and um, you would think I got into it like if you saw my swing about four or five days ago, but I'm just going to keep on trying. So a, few, a week ago or two, a 25-year-old young man won the Masters. The Masters is like the Super Bowl of golf. And um, when the video comes on, he's got a green jacket on because this is an interview. We're going to play two quick interviews of what he said in regards to winning the Masters. And then um, I just want you to hear this. This is like a, an example that applies to everyone's life. You could work at McDonald's. You could be playing the Masters. It's all the same. Okay, listen to what, what he said. Scotty Scheffler. Scotty, how did you uh, handle the late tea time today? What did you do uh, last night? What did you do this morning? And how many episodes of The Office did you watch? <laughs> you know, last night was pretty easy. I was tired. Um, we went and got some food. I spilled my dinner in the car on the way home. That was extraordinarily frustrating. You can see Meredith is still laughing at me. She, she thought it was the funniest thing ever. I didn't think it was so funny at the time. Um, and so last night was fine. This morning was a totally different story. I cried like a baby this morning. I was so stressed out. Um, I didn't know what to do. I was sitting there. I was telling Meredith. I was like, I, I don't think I'm ready for this. You know, I'm not ready. I go, I don't feel like I'm ready for this kind of stuff. And I just felt overwhelmed. And so she told me, who are you to say that you're not ready? Um, who, who am I to say that I know what's best for, for my life? And so for what we talked about is, you know, that God is in control and, you know, the Lord is leading me. And 
Um, if today's my time, then, then it's my time. And if, you know, I shot 82 today, you know, somehow I was going to use it for his glory. And, um, you seem to us completely unflappable. I know you know how huge the stage is, but you certainly don't act like it. What is it about your personality, makeup, preparation, whatever those aspects are, that allow you to conduct yourself that way on this kind of stage? Yeah, I think, I think at the end of the day, tomorrow, um, you know, if I win this golf tournament, it'll change my life on the golf course, but it won't change, you know, my personal life at home. And so winning the golf tournament tomorrow isn't going to satisfy my soul or my heart. And I know that going in. And so I'm able to play freely knowing that, um, you know, the rest isn't really up to me. I'm just going to go out there tomorrow and do my best. I know that going in. I know that going in. I know that going in. Everybody look at me for a second. Do you know going in? Do you have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? How many know the issues of life are real? The guy's in the masters, he's stressed out. But guess what? When you have Jesus, you have a, an anchor place. You have an anchor in the storm. You have a way to find peace again. Everybody kept talking about this guy, how, how unflappable he was, even though he's just 25 years old. And it's because in the human struggle, when we live this life, there is struggle. But in the human struggle, there is an anchor for our soul. His name is Jesus. And no matter what the outcome is, hallelujah. Nothing sweeter, nothing better, nothing richer than saying my God is in control. Anybody happy here that our God is in control every day, every moment, every hour? Hallelujah. Some people think that um, hardship in life is what wrecks. No, even success. I've watched success wreck tons of people because they can't handle it. See, fulfillment means that no matter what happens in your world, it won't change you at home. <laughs> what an amazing, amazing definition of fulfillment. You know why? Because Jesus really satisfies. Can I say that to you? Jesus really satisfies. Jesus fulfills like no other. When people let you down, and they do let you down, Jesus will never let you down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When the thrill is gone of whatever it is that thrills you, how many know Jesus will thrill you over and over and over again? There's no end to the glory of his, of his being. When we get to heaven, we'll never get bored with God. It'll just be this never-ending unfolding. Three doors. Door of forgiveness, door of freedom, door of fulfillment. You can't have a full life without all three. And listen, listen, I'm, you know, it's funny. Here's the last thing I'll say, then I want to invite us all to pray. But the older you get, the more you understand the benefit of experience. Okay, so listen to me. Please, everybody, focus in on me for a second. So, sometimes the worst thing that you could do 
is experience something for yourself. Because while you're experiencing something for yourself, it can eat up tons of time. The best thing to do is to learn from someone else's experience. That's why we say, you know, our process is meant to be someone else's shortcut. <laughs> That's the way it is with your kids. What do you tell your kids? Hey, I learned this lesson from me because I don't want you to learn it all over again. It's a waste of time. History. History shouts at us. The only way to be fulfilled is not by searching this out and searching that out and pursuing this and pursuing that. Fulfillment, freedom, and forgiveness are only found in one. And his name is Jesus. And all you have to do to walk through these doors is to open your door. The Bible says, behold, I stand. Like the mystery of this. When I was a kid, I was 17, he knocked on the door of my heart on a baseball field. I know people who gave their heart to the Lord in school. Uh, uh, Esther gave her heart to the Lord. Esther Arthur gave her heart to the Lord at a university. Jesus, the lover of the world, the one who looks past all the ugliness, the one who looks past all the sin, the one who looks past all the darkness because he's so compelled by his love. And he said, I paid the price for this world. Jesus knocks and knocks and knocks. Where does he knock? He knocks at the door of our heart. You open the door of your heart. God will help you walk through those three doors. Hallelujah, Jesus. So many things happening on this earth that are so sacred and no one even knows about it. When I gave my life to Christ, no one knew about it. I was playing baseball. This is a sacred moment because the moment that God knocks on the door of your heart becomes the greatest opportunity of your life. Could we close our eyes? While I've been speaking, while I've been talking about the issue of the resurrection, the resurrection was an event that was meant to be personalized. The resurrection was an event that would explain to us why someone is knocking on the door of our hearts. The resurrection is what makes sense of what's happening right now. He knocks on the door of your heart. Why? Because he rose from the dead so that you can be forgiven, freed, and fulfilled. Hallelujah. And if you're here today and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, it's as simple as open the door. And you know that it's happening because he knocks on the door of your heart and you just feel compelled. And you say, yes, Lord, I want to start a relationship. You can't do anything. Jesus already did everything. Online, you can't do anything. Jesus already did everything. The only thing we can do, because it's a matter of choice, is we choose to open the door and say, Jesus, come into my heart. And if that's you, you're like, this is the moment I want to open the door. I want to start a relationship. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking 
talking about joining a church. I'm talking about opening up the door of your heart and saying, Jesus, come in. I want to have a relationship. If right now as I'm speaking, you want to open the door of your heart, you, you feel him, you know he's knocking. Could you lift your hand right in this building? And could you lift your hand? Thank you. Hands are going up all over the building. Come on, lift them high so I can see them. It's a little dark. Please lift your hands high. Thank you. Thank you. Hands are going up high. All over. Raise them high. Nobody's looking at you. This is between you and God. Raise your hands nice and high. Hallelujah. Hands are going up all over the building. Online, respond to God. We're not there, but the Holy Spirit is there. Respond to God. Say, yes, Lord. I want to accept you. I want to open the door. All of those hands that have gone up, Jesus wants to come in. So you can put your hand down. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite him in. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. This will be the first time that you need help. And then after that, you can talk to God on your own, so to speak, in this relationship. So everyone repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for Resurrection Sunday. I realize, Lord, that you did that 2,000 years ago for me. You did it, Lord, so that I could be forgiven. You did it so that I could be free. You did it so that I could be fulfilled. And I want to begin today. So Lord, wash my heart with your blood. Forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. And Lord, I invite you to come in and sit on the throne of my heart. I don't want to be in charge anymore. I want you to be my king and my master. I want you to be my savior and my friend. I want to have a relationship with you. So thank you, Lord, for receiving me even as I open up the door and receive you. Amen and amen. Could we put our hands together? Hallelujah! 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 If you raised your hand and prayed that prayer, I want to welcome you to the family of God, to the kingdom of God. Can we put our hands together?